cryptid enthusiasts are disproportionately male and often share a number of outsider traits that I couldn't help but see in Chile. A distaste for authority, a rugged connection with the outdoors, and a hearty sense of individualism and self-reliance. This is White Atlantic Weird, and this episode, Those Who Hunt the Skunk Ape. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. You will prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body. You're listening to White Atlantic Weird, a podcast about why people believe weird things. I'm Kean, and here at the Cabin in the Woods, somewhere in the wilds of West Cork, I investigate stories of the strange. I'm critical, but not cynical. I look for analysis or primary sources whenever I can. And on this episode, we're focused mainly on a Smithsonian article, all about a man by the name of Dave Sheehy. Dang, that should be Sheely, of course. Sheehy is a more common Irish name. Maybe that's why it was in my head. Who is obsessed with the hunt for the Florida skunk ape, which is a type of regional Bigfoot. Now, uh, you find me walking in the woods outside the cabin, actually. Uh, I have put my trail camera up somewhere in the forest just about a week ago. And hopefully spring has sprung enough that we'll get a little bit of action. But... I'm on the way to check that out, and as I walk, I'm going to be talking to you about this this regional Bigfoot story. So, yeah, um, as always, you can get in touch with us online for chat. So on Twitter, we are at Strange Ireland. On Instagram, we are Wide Atlantic Weird Podcast. And I'm drinking coffee as I walk. It's far too early in the morning for my usual sort of hipster IPA situation. Um, it is not anything fancy. It is frank and honest coffee, which, you know, I'm letting down my hipster credentials a bit here. It, it isn't Starbucks, but it's not hard to find or obscure in any sort of way. But it is very nice. And speaking of coffee, you can support the show in a nice non-committal way over on Buy Me A Coffee forward slash White Atlantic. There's no weird. There was no space for it. Um, this week, I'd like to but a special thanks to those who did. So a special thanks to Andreas, who I think listens from Scotland, and Hannah. I don't know where you're listening from, Hannah. By all means, uh, massive thanks to you. By all means, get in touch and let us know where you're listening from, as I find that always fun. Speaking of which, we had our competition on the last episode where I gave away a copy of two awesome crypto-themed books. That is Cryptozoology Anthology and The Inhumanoids. That was really fun. About 40 people took part in that. And it was really nice to see where everybody was listening from. Kind of as expected, it matches with the with the stats that I'm aware of, which is that most people are listening from primarily the US and the UK, a little amount in Ireland, a little amount in New Zealand, um, and, a f- and a few in Canada, and a few other kind of unusual places as well. But we had somebody from Germany, we had somebody from... Um, Austria as well so yeah that's always fun nice to know and um, the winners for that one of course were Cameron over in Massachusetts who got one copy of one of the books and Donna listening from Virginia who got the other one I've been to Massachusetts I did the whole Boston and, and Salem thing which was fun um, and I've never been to Virginia but I would like to 
So what are we talking about today? We are talking about... We're talking about monsters, but really we're talking about monster hunters. And this was an idea I had long, long ago um, to maybe focus on the people who chase the monsters. Sorry, I'm just plunging and pouring the coffee here as I sit down on a little rock and chat to you. So you'll find when you study this stuff that the people who become obsessed with the cryptids are kind of like a fascinating breed. And... And we've kind of tipped on this before with the with the Yowie episode. We talked a little bit about Rex Gilroy, who is a fascinating and interesting and important, uh, but very eccentric character who I think could get his entire episode. He, as we talked about on that show, he kind of single-handedly rescued the notion of the Yowie from oblivion. Some would say he sort of invented it, or at least reinvented it for the 20th century. Similarly, there are other like regional monster stories that have like one person who is like the, the the focus for them and you know either has has rescued them or invented them choose your your preferred explanation for that in louisiana there's the the honey island swamp monster which is again a type of a regional bigfoot and it, it's linked almost entirely to one woman dana hollyfield whose her origin story is that her father saw the beast back in the 1970s um, and, and I mean, it's not like they're the only people who've ever mentioned it, but the entire sort of industry of that creature seems to revolve around him and then and now her. And, and so it's, it's always her who pops up on documentaries talking about that particular creature. And it, it's similar to a degree with the skunk ape. It does exist outside of this one guy, Dave Sheely, um, but he is the main man when it comes to it. He pops up on every documentary. He's on every article and he's an absolutely fascinating guy who... I've kind of wanted to talk about for some time as I think a look at his life gives you a bit of an overview as to like how these people become this way and what the idea of the of the cryptids really really mean to them. So to kick us off with the the whole idea of like regional Bigfoots you know I mean when you read this stuff chronologically at first it appears as an idea in the in the 50s of this creature in the Pacific Northwest there are older stories, but they're not necessarily the Bigfoot that we would know and love today. And those earlier ones do happen all over North America. They're every little town in, in all over the Midwest and, and other places kind of have their own stories. And the original stories of the skunk ape go back to like 19th century newspaper reports, which I've discussed previously, are kind of like their own culture of sort of jokes and, and hoaxes and fake news that I think a lot of us missed the context for when we read them today so it's i'm not i'm not saying that there's no background to this stuff prior to you know the 1950s and 60s but i i do find it interesting to note when the ideas of of the modern you know man ape bigfoot spreads from the pacific northwest to other places and it happens fairly quickly again i usually trace the birth of bigfoot to the jerry crew footprints in 1958 and at first there's this idea that you know, it's an animal that could possibly be living in this vast, um, you know, area of forest that's, you know, larger than most other areas in the continent. And then things start to spread out. So I'm going to read a little bit from Hunting Monsters. That's Darren Nate, of course, who is sort of the Don when it comes to the proper zoological side of looking at this stuff. And he says, Bigfoot is not the only human-like mystery primate said to occur on the North American continent. Little known Outside the zoology fan base is that North America cryptohominate accounts do not all describe giant, hulking, man-like Bigfoot creatures. 
anecdotes from the southeastern United States describe creatures more akin to gorillas and chimpanzees, sometimes associated with swamps and thick forests, and even said to be capable of swimming. To cryptozoology advocates, uh, these are suggested as representing a distinct type of native hominid that is not, in fact, closely related to Bigfoot. Cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman suggested the term napes, a contraction of North American apes, for these creatures during the 1960s. According to this idea, more than one undiscovered North American hominid awaits discovery, a concept known as the multi-species model. So yeah, like they're, they each part of the US kind of has its own folklore about a beast and some of them do look physically different from the classic the classic Sas- Sasquatch and being as I mentioned the cryptozoology anthology book which as you may remember from the last episode is a collection of articles from old men's magazines um, about cryptozoological creatures the idea of the regional Bigfoot did happen fairly quickly after uh, the the Jerry Crew footprints so even like it says here going back to the 60s there, um, you have people like Lauren Coleman talking about multi-species models and um, in the fiction from those men's magazines in Cryptozoology Anthology there are stories of Bigfoots from uh, Tennessee and the Appalachians and other parts of the US like quite early on in, in the early 60s at least. To continue with uh, Darren Nash's book for a moment stories and myths about dark furred forest and swamp dwelling apes in the southern United States extend back to the early 1900s so we'll be talking that's talking about those newspaper articles one possible explanation sometimes put forward is that these were escaped circus animals and maybe some of them were a more radical idea suggested by Coleman and his colleague Mark Hall and by Huvelmans too that's Bernard Huvelmans who's a famous early cryptozoologist is that napes might be members of a hominid group otherwise known from the fossil record of Europe Asia and Africa termed Dryopithecines. This group is named for Dryopithecus, an extinct ape whose limb proportions suggest that it was an orangutan-like climber, not a more terrestrial ape like a chimp or gorilla. There are no indications whatsoever that either Dryopithecus or any of its close relatives survived to geologically recent times or that they ever migrated into the Americas. I'm going to go a little bit further than this and by the way I do really recommend this book even though I think I think it's kind of hard to get now. It's not very old, but um, uh, Darren Nash's sort of online crypto threads on, on Twitter are so popular that um, they're a really good advertisement for this book, and, and I, do, I do support people buying it. But he says, Another belief widespread in cryptozoological communities is that the Bigfoot-type creatures seen along the eastern seaboard of North America are different from those of the West and represent a distinct eastern Bigfoot, perhaps a different species or subspecies, Remember that this creature is supposed to be different from the nape of the southeast as well as from the western Bigfoot, so we're up to three undiscovered Native American cryptohominids, and it doesn't end there. He goes on to describe how Coleman and others have developed this kind of vast ecology of unknown humanoid creatures running around North America, including not only those three sort of Bigfoot types, but also living Neanderthals, uh, Gigantopithecus, the Australopithecine, Pan- Paranthropus, and a mysterious archaic homonym called Homo gardarensis. He then points out that there's a kind of a split, or there was a split between sort of 
cryptozoologists who were open to this idea of lots and lots of different mystery animals moving around the place and, you know, not leaving any trace. And then those who thought, look, this is silly. So Grover Krantz, of course, one of the original four heavy hitters of uh, cryptos or at least Sasquatchology. Uh, was kind of embarrassed by this. He was the one who tried to make the most kind of scientific attempt to describe what was going on. And he did have uh, a background in primatology and anthropology. So he was a little bit embarrassed by all of this. And he was like, look, guys, come on. People are having a hard time accepting one of these creatures. You know, don't multiply beyond what you have to do. And, you know, as, as an ecologist, even in regular zoology, there are lumpers and there are splitters. There are people who wish to, you know... Uh, create more species uh, and there were people who wished to create fewer species you know out of the same the same kinds of animals so yeah i like the idea of the skunk ape the regional florida subtype of bigfoot it's it's a different kind of terrain we're talking swamps we're talking palmettos we're talking like subtropical i've have i been i've been i've stopped off in miami a number of times but I, only on the way to other places i've never spent any time in florida i drove through it on a on a greyhound and stopped off at some big cities but nothing i didn't see any of the i didn't go to the everglades or anything like that which i would really really love to do but i i'm very attracted to that sort of environment it looks amazing it looks like an amazing place to sort of breed legends of of monsters and stuff like that now one of the ways that you can see the work of our man dave Sheely, who's mr skunk ape is there's a short clip which i'll put a link to from a group called discovery canada and this is just very short video of a reporter going to talk to Dave Sheely uh, about his his work. So he's out in he's out in his skunk ape research headquarters out in the swamps, and um, they're still operating. He's still doing this, as far as I can tell. I bought a T-shirt off him this week, <laughs> and he is uh, he's got a great look. So he's he he's your classic out, outcast, you know, um, Indiana Jones type guy. He's he's. An older gentleman with really rugged skin, uh, leathery kind of a tan to him. He's got a sort of a cowboy hat and he's got a little, what I call a mouth beard, like a tight beard just around the mouth. And he's definitely, he's definitely eccentric, but he's not off the charts. Like he, he's quiet and he's calm and he's, his delivery is very good. And he's very arresting and a very um, sort of a charismatic kind of a character. So his, his operation is run out of Big Cypress national preserve which um its address is to a place called ochopi in in florida the, well that's that's his um his headquarters if you like now the big cypress itself is about 2900 kilometers squared and it's a fair amount west of miami right down in the south of florida and it, it's like a landscape of swamps and giant cypresses and dwarf pond cypress and it's a great place for wildlife because they've got alligators and black bears and cougars and stuff like that. Things that are regularly misinterpreted as being Bigfoot. I'm just going to say that now. Plant that seed. So the story goes. I've seen black bear myself. Um, but from far away. And I, I very much knew. It was in the open and I knew what I was looking at. So it's hard for me to imagine that you might um, mistake that for something else. But as we've said many times on the show. You... You don't have to see a big monster to believe that you've seen a big monster. And if you are indeed all geared up to see one and that's you're in the place where the, you know, all of, all of the lore is, I think you're more likely to make misinterpretations. So I like this video because it, you get a good example of 
what this guy is like and what his outfit is and what his setup is and what he does and he gives a really good account of himself. The reporter and the sort of tone of the editing is a bit dismissive, it's a bit like oh here's a silly thing, you know, here's a silly guy who believes this dumb thing and it's a little bit, it's a little bit smarmy. It, it, it's just like people who are not particularly interested in this material and they've been sent off to cover something stupid for the silly season. That's the vibe of it anyway. And, um, you know, nobody says anything rude to him or, or anything like that. But he, he, like I said, he gives a good account of himself. He holds up a, 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 a cast. So he's made casts of footprints that he believes he's found in the swamp and they're four-toed, which again marks them out as being different to your uh, northwestern Bigfoot. And he, he reckons that they climb trees, they make nests up in trees, they smell bad, which is where the name Skunk Ape comes from. Their colouring can be different. They, I mean, they've been re reported as being everything from white to red to brown. But then, you know, in some parts of the world, bears change their hair colours like this as well at different times of the year. So it isn't, and at different altitudes and, and stuff like that, so it isn't unusual. To get a, a good description of, an overall description of what the skunk ape is supposed to look like, I'm going to turn to something written by Joe Nickel, who's hardcore, hardcore skeptic to bunker dude. Um, I don't always like his conclusions. He does, he does good work and he does hard work. He goes to the places where these things happen, so I have to give him props. And, um, I mean, chances are he's probably right about a lot of what he says. And he, he famously, within the sort of believer community he, he's the guy who thinks that everything is owls he thinks that you know mothman was owls he thinks that the kelly hopskinville goblins were owls he's very literal with this stuff he's like well you saw something that had big red eyes and wings so it must have been an owl anyway he does i disagree with his conclusions often but he does good work as well so about the skunk ape he says i studied a wealth of hairy man beast encounters selecting from a pro Bigfoot database of over 1,000 reports between 1818 and 1890. And now I presume this was going to be um, BFRO, the Bigfoot Research Organization stuff. I, I presumed, I was like, who else would have such a sort of a, a wealth of information spanning that timeline? But no, it, it's a book called Bored and Bored from 2006. So he says, all 42 entries for Florida, to which I added 35 more from another source which is Jenkins 2010 for a total of 77 case studies. I then extracted data to determine the average for the following characteristics of the skunk ape. Physical description. The Florida skunk ape has generally black or dark long hair or fur. One report described it as being seemingly covered in fur as if wearing a fur coat. May also be brown or white. It has a large round head with big shining eyes, no appreciable neck, and broad rounded shoulders. When standing upright, it has long dangling arms, in one case being observed swinging its arms as dogs yapped at it. So that's what it is supposed to look like. That is what Dave Sheely is, is seeing around his property out in the wilds. He's actually, I looked him up what he's doing recently. He's been shooting a film called The Wild Man with a group called Justified Films. So hopefully that will be making its way into the the vast pantheon of Bigfoot films. <laughs> Not many of which, it must be said, are very good. So, you know, Harry and the Hendersons aside, I, I I've been re-watching some old Bigfoot films. I, I tentatively recommend Willow Creek. It's found footage, so if you just can't hack found footage anymore, you know, nothing this film does is going to work for you. But 
Uh, if you can get over that, it is made by it's made by Bobcat Goldthwait, and he must be a buff because the characters actually go to Willow Creek, where the Bluff Creek footprints actually happen, where the the 1967 and um, you know Patterson Gimlin stuff happened, and there's a lot of lore in there, which is cool. It's a very simple film with just kind of one thing that it does well. And, you know, if that works for you, it's a good film. If it doesn't, you're going to be bored. But really, it's slim pickings. There's there's not many good films. On the other hand, there's a film called Primal Rage, which, like, all the comments for this on YouTube are just people being like, what? This isn't the video game. <laughs> I remember in 90s, like, Sega Mega Drive fighting game with these kind of dinosaurs and giant apes duking it out. And that was called Primal Rage. This is a film about people trapped in the forest in the Pacific Northwest and there were Bigfoot in it and it's way more trashy and over the top but it's good fun the costumes are great the special effects are great and there's more than a little bit of the uh, like the movie Predator in there so if that if that sounds like something you could you could deal with um it's it's worth a look again cautious recommendation there are not really many good Bigfoot films uh I don't know. I'm not a fan of Boggy Creek. I'll, put, I'll just put that there. So finally, we get to the, the Smithsonian article that I want to talk about. This is from 2014. It's by Joseph Stromberg. And Stromberg basically goes to visit uh, Dave Sheely's place and his, his skunk ape headquarters out in the swamp and hangs out with him for a while and uh, kind of gets the story of like what happened to him and how he fell into this this life. So he had a sighting himself when he was 10 in 1974 and he became obsessed. And over the years, he built all of these. This was on his own property. His family actually owned the land where he now has his his shop or his, his business. So he built stands, like, you know, hunting stands, in various places around the swamp. And he, he claims to have, like, sat out there for, like, six months every day, just watching to see what would happen. And eventually, his uh, patience was rewarded. He got some photographs, finally, in 1998. And he got a video in 2000. And you can see it, just about anywhere. Look up the Dave Sheely Skunk Ape video. And folks, it is bad. It is really bad. Like, if you were just... If you were just trawling YouTube looking for, like, Bigfoot footage, and 90% of it is just kids messing around, like, and you're looking for a good, a good one, one that at least makes you wonder, this one wouldn't even... You wouldn't even stop to look at it because it's clearly just a guy... I don't even think he's wearing a costume. I think it's a guy wearing a hoodie with the hood up or wearing a black top of some kind or maybe, maybe tights over his head at the absolute most. But there's nothing here that shows me any effort was made. There's no, you can't see any fur. You can't see any muscles. It's just, it's a skinny guy like flailing around in the, in the swamp and it's it's rubbish and like if if Dave Sheely wasn't such an interesting guy and I wasn't so drawn to his story and I wasn't absolutely fast captivated by the idea of like having this crazy business out in the swamps and dressing like a cowboy uh, you know and wrangling alligators or whatever I, I you wouldn't you wouldn't care about this video it's it's rubbish and and it just he seems so sincere and you know I believe I want to believe everything that he says and, or at least I want to believe that he believes. And yet, it all rests on this terrible, terrible video. It's rubbish. It's so disappointing. And like everything else about this guy, <laughs> I, I kind of like and will go to bat for. But, you know, it's all resting on this, this piece of nonsense. So, again, it, it makes you wonder as to the psychology of somebody like this. You know, what was this because 
you know, he did believe and he did have sightings, but then he couldn't prove it. So he made something up just to, to get attention. Was it because he, there, there's some, um, there's some idea that he needed a grant for something from the local government to run his projects. And, you know, he wanted some, maybe some talk in the press. So he gussied up this, this video just at the right time. The comments to the video on YouTube were also very revealing. It's just full of people saying, oh, I mean, did you know that, you know, the swamp level was one foot high of water at the time, so it's impossible for a human to move as quickly and as smoothly as this thing is. You know, and it's just reaching, 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 and that might be true, you know, but it's, again, it's, it's tangential, you know, the thing itself looks rubbish. I don't care how the person you know, managed to move through a foot of water so swiftly if he looks as bad as he does. So anyway, um, the whole the whole forest is ba and, and swamp is basically covered in motion tracker cameras, like mine, um, and that's because it's it's a park, so there's all sorts of scientific research going on all the time. So he again he's into the realm of like, well, the reason why there's no evidence is, be is because in the in the jungle or in the forest. The, the, everything rots very quickly and these creatures are very adaptable and they know what humans are and they stay away from them. All the usual stuff. He seems to run a kind of a python zoo out of his, his operation and I really I really hope that isn't some sort of animal cruelty, Joe Exotic piece of nonsense. I really hope not. Anyway, he likes to tell the stories about how this creature pre... like uh, how reports of this creature predate his own interest in it and there's some truth to that so... I'm looking at cryptozoologist.webs and there's a pretty impressive list of of sightings uh, going back to the 70s at least. So in 1970, uh, fishermen from Placida, Florida in the Gulf of Mexico, a shrimp boat crew tells of seeing yetis, quote unquote, swimming out as much as 20 miles in the Gulf. Captain says he has seen one swimming underwater. Also 1971, Cayo Palau in Florida. At 3 a.m., one of two men saw a creature and cried out. The other man, Mr. Osborne, rolled out of tent, saw a big man with no neck, body covered with hair. It turned and ran off, left horrible smell. Footprints measured 17 and a half inches by 11 and a half cast. Found various other prints since. H.C. Buzz Osborne was president of the Peninsular Archaeological Society and board member of the Miami Museum of Science. Other sightings reported include Henry Ring, Broward County Rabies Control Officer, claimed to be legends of, quote, skunk ape. Again, a, a common element of these of these stories is, oh, look how, uh, look how dependable the witness was. They were somebody who was important in the community. So we have reports all through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And, you know, some of them are, are genuinely interesting. So like I say, I, I'm kind of hypnotized by this idea of like going out into a uh, you know a cool remote place like the the swamplands and building your own business and you know hunting for these things and nobody else believes you but you're going to stick to it anyway which is of course the classic sort of reclusive um, you know anti-establishment uh, cryptozoologist thing to do and there's a great quote from the article here so he says uh, cryptid enthusiasts are disproportionately male and often share a number of outsider traits that I couldn't help but see in Sheely. A distaste for authority, a rugged connection with the outdoors, and a hearty sense of individualism and self-reliance. Well, isn't that just America all over? All that all that stuff. I I quite I quite like it.
Worth mentioning here, as always, folks, that this sort of rugged outsider individualist mentality is simultaneously very attractive and also uh, is, is the root of a lot of bad stuff, a lot of anti-science stuff, a lot of scientific skepticism, climate skepticism, all that sort of bad stuff. So it is, as always, a, a double-sided blade and a dichotomy that I do think many of us struggle with. We also have a quote that kind of impressed me here from uh, Dendel is the name of the guy. It's in the same article. He says, in the digital age, the world feels very small. There's a sense of claustrophobia, a loss of wonder. Cryptozoology is a way of refusing to have the last piece of the unknown taken away. Ouch, baby. Very ouch. Uh, I do feel like that's very on the nose. And I think we've said before the idea of sort of like extinction guilt, the idea that as we become more aware of the destruction we're doing to the planet, as we're deeply aware of the extinction crisis, the sixth extinction crisis that we are all complicit in, you know, we this, this sense of nostalgia takes effect in more ways than one. And, and one of the ways, I think from the 1950s on, was was that, you know, we were yearning for a time when there was still wild open spaces, still wilderness, everything wasn't boring, you know, Men could be men in the old-fashioned sense. Roll up your sleeves, go out into the into the world, and do something, you know, adventurous. And now, I think this this, you know, takes its place as sort of middle-aged dudes going out into the woods on a weekend. And but they don't call it hiking; they call it squatching. You know, so they it's the same thing, except they're excited, they're tantalized by the possibility of maybe discovering something and being the first person to do so. And, you know, it's very low barrier to entry. All you have to do is, you know, watch some YouTube and, like, bang a few trees with a stick. <laughs> I'm being a bit, I'm being a bit sarcastic, but, you know, I've, I've no, no disrespect to folks who like doing that sort of thing. But I, I'm just interested in the reason why something which seems ridiculous on the surface um, has, has found such a hold in the culture. And speaking of explaining, here is where we kind of get some insight into the psychological reason for Dave Sheely becoming the way he is. So, like I said, his family owned the land where he now works. And they had their own business on that location where they did tours into the swamp for tourists. And in 1974, the same year he has his first swamp or skunk ape sighting, the local government or authorities come in and declare the whole area a park, which means everything changes and they're no longer able to operate their business there. Now only the local government is doing the tours out of there and they set up their own campsites that are different from the Sheelys and eventually the business is destroyed. So now this is where it gets interesting. So this is not just, you know, there are mysterious creatures out there. This is where he gets into this sort of paranoid or conspiratorial mindset which certainly is present in bigfootery occasionally it's not nearly as prevalent as it is with ufo culture i think it's easier to imagine why you know governments would have cover-ups and stuff for something like ufos whereas it's harder to imagine that like high level government stuff would give as much of a shit about bigfoot in in some books i think it was where Bigfoot Walks, that, that naturalist book. There's some talk about conspiracy theories within the Bigfoot world about the US Forest Service and how they believe that if people knew that there were Bigfoot, then like all of the forestry and the you know the woodcutting industry would have to change, and that seems believable. 
But um, yeah, it's it does show it does pop up now and again in like Sasquatch enthusiast literature, but it's not nearly as endemic as it is in in other kinds. However, Sheely has a, a long-standing grudge against the the park and the park service. He he says that after he had his sighting of the skunk ape, there were mysterious black helicopters hovering in the sky that night. And he claims to have had evidence of the animals on one occasion where he had hairs and that a mysterious federal agent showed up and took the hair off him, you know, not not saying who they were or where what they were going to do with it, which is very reminiscent of sort of paranoid UFO stuff from the 1950s, sort of Albert K. Bender and, and all of that sort of thing. So interesting, yeah. And, and again, I think it, there's an inevitability to any strange beliefs when they go on long enough, even if they start out as sort of nuts and bolts, you know, pelts and pur- pelts and pelts and furs. Like if you believe there's a creature, a physical creature, but then after so many decades, you don't have any evidence. You kind of either you have to get paranormal or you have to get conspiratorial in order to explain the lack of evidence. So either, well, it's a it's a spirit and it doesn't leave evidence or, you know, it's real, but somebody doesn't want the world to know. You kind of have to go towards one or the other there's a sort of an inevitability to it as the belief persists over you know so many years as to some ideas as to like where these sightings are coming from leaving aside the psychological hypothesis which i prefer just for a moment there's some interesting stuff in this article about actual like primates in the wild that have escaped all over florida so there's a place called primate products which uh, does i presume animal testing because they talk about protests against the animal testing Uh, but they have basically large numbers of macaque monkeys in a facility just up in the north end of the park you know quite a ways away from where uh, Sheely is but um, still I mean there there is an incredible amount of like groups of wild apes that are you know functioning populations in the parks in Florida it's it's unbelievable I suppose you know if you've watched Tiger King which I don't recommend the only good thing that came out of it is like you'll realize, huh, there's no regulation for this stuff in America and, you know, anyone can just buy a bunch of these crazy creatures. There must be like insane black markets for them. And, you know, they're, they're damn common. Like there, there were, as, as is often said, there are more big cats in captivity in places like that than there probably are in the wild. And same goes for, you know, snakes and, and charismatic mega reptiles and all that sort of thing. So it's not as unusual as you might think that, you know, these creatures would get out once in a while, and they have. And so, like, there was articles about macaques that escaped in Tampa Bay. There were patas monkeys that escaped in Gainesville. A group of 15 patas monkeys um, in a place called Green Swamp. And like I said, yes, some of these actually managed to propagate and survive for several years in the wild. So I think some of this can be put down to sightings of real primates, though... They're a lot, lot smaller than the even even the skunk ape is supposed to be. There's also a place called the Center for Great Apes, which uh, takes in, I, I think, rescued apes or what they call retired apes, like from zoos and things that are too old to really... Uh, I think the word I'm avoiding is perform, but, you know, they're not much good for people to come and look at. Let's just say that when they get to a certain age. that uh, They have chimps, and interestingly, they have orangutans, so that's about... 140 miles north of where Sheely's operation is. So again, it's, it's possible. It's possible. I find it harder to imagine an escaped orangutan than I do, you know, a macaque monkey. 
But the speaking of orangutans brings us to probably the most sort of memorable visual incarnation of the skunk ape, and that is, of course, the 2000 Mayaka ape photo, which is an astonishing piece of cryptozoological lore. It's an amazing image. It's it sits it sits perfectly just on that balance between, you know, this could be a, a, a prop or a fake or a costume. But there's just something about it and I can't put my finger on it and it's utterly, it's terrifying. It's a, it's a really scary picture and I know lots of people have been affected by it who saw it early on in their lives or when they, when they were fairly young. As is often the case, our boy Darren Nash has done one of his uh, Twitter mega threads on this and usually once he has done that there is very little else to say on the topic but... I'll just say, look, it's an icon of cryptozo cryptozoology, and even if it's a fake, it's a tremendous one. So Mayaka is a town near Mayaka State Park, so entirely possible that, you know, people would believe that some sort of escaped animal might be out in the wilds there. there it, it appears at a sheriff's station in about 2000 with a letter, a strange letter that is, like, tight, done on word, but the... The, the font used is supposed to imitate a typewriter, which is a deeply weird thing to do. And it's purported to be from this elderly retired woman who has been having... She's like in the suburbs, you know, but not too far away from the edges of the park. And she's got like these palmettos all around the outside of her house. And she has like some, something has been stealing apples from her back porch. And on the third night after the apples are being stolen, she goes out to have a look. And something is moving, but she can't see it. So she takes a picture with a flash camera. And then there are these two photographs out there of this creature, which in fairness, doesn't it like it's completely different to your classic Bigfoot. It's it's tall and lanky and sort of orangutan shaped with the long arms, but it's thinner than a Bigfoot. And it's got this kind of gray brown fur with gray patches. It's got a hideous face, which is, is really memorable. And it's got these weird glowing eyes as well. And, you know, like I said, if it's a fake, it's a truly astonishing one. Um, it, it deserves to be up there with, with the, the, you know, the PG film and uh, the, the surgeon's photo of Nessie. It's, it's a cryptozoological classic. So what does Darren Nish say about this? Um, he, he points out stuff like the, the eye shine reminds you of, like, the, the tapum lucidum, the, the red eye that some, some animals get. But, um, like, monkeys and great apes don't get them. So that's, or don't have them generally. Other kinds of primates like lemurs do, humans do. So it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in terms of the sort of uh, purported lineage that people tend to try and provide for, you know, unknown hominids or homonyms. Interestingly, he says, people usually say, oh, it's, a, it's an ape costume. And there's a lot of stories saying, oh, case, case solved, case closed. There's this particular costume that matches it. And uh, Darren Nash rightly points out, none of these look anything like the Mayaka ape. So, like, people who have trawled, um, you know, the online stores for whoever makes commercially available, at least ape costumes, none of them look much like it. And this points to, if it is a hoax, it points to somebody deliberately doing it. And I, I, that is, like, kind of encouraged by the, the idea that this was done deliberately for people with the knowledge uh, and an interest in cryptozoology because, like I said, it's not your standard Bigfoot. It's very deliberately a different type of thing and very deliberately a, a skunk ape. And uh, that finally takes me to pretty close to the end of the episode. Do I have any final thoughts on the man Dave Shealy? All I can say is I am and will always be 
fascinated by these renegade outcast folks who, you know, find a way to live that indulges their obsession and manages to make it work financially. Um, I will say he didn't, if he was an out and out con man, I think he would have invested a bit of money in a good suit, a good, you know, ape suit, done a good hoax and, you know, taken it on the road and made his money out of it, as as people have. You know, if the Patterson-Gimlin film is a hoax, Patterson at least made some money out of it during his lifetime. You know, and you would argue that if that was a fake, he intended, that that was his goal. Sheely, I think, is is a true believer. Um, You know, I mean, he makes his living out of it, but he could be making more money. He could be putting himself uh, into more lucrative versions of the career that he has chosen for himself and all evidence seems to show that he's still as far as i know he's still out there looking for it and um, the only thing that sticks to my craw of course is the terrible terrible 2000 video that he released uh, all i can do is you know give the man the benefit of the doubt and hope that he does believe but you know just that one time he felt the need to craft something to get a little bit of attention uh, i only wish he had done a better job You've been listening to Wide Atlantic Weird, a podcast about why people believe weird things. As I head off to finally check my trail camera, perhaps I'll get some skunk ape action on it myself. Uh, I encourage you to get in touch, reach out, let me know if you have any ideas for episodes or if anything strange has ever happened to you. Once again, you can find us on Twitter where we are at Strange Ireland or on Instagram where we are Wide Atlantic Weird Podcast. So until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. You will prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body. <laughs>